God for his outpouring. Oh, we're nothing without him, but Lord God, we give you praise. Oh, we give you reverence. We give you honor, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, praise you, Lord. Oh, glorify your name, Lord, in this place. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. Glory. <laughs> praise God. Glory. Well, Dad, you don't know. We've not talked about what um, I was going to say today. And, and David, you know, it's just been such a confirmation and a blessing for what we've started with today. Um, and this is my first time of uh, leading one of these seminars. And when Alan asked me, I thought, you have asked a hard thing of me. <laughs> This is a hard thing, and I feel completely inadequate in my own right, but his strength is made perfect in my weakness. So praise God. You know, um, we have had some choice wine served up by God and over the, the years, and I know you people have got a fine palate, which puts me <laughs> under a bit of pressure. <laughs> But I started to, um, when I started to study this a few weeks ago, I was going through a particularly tough time, personally at work, and, and the situation had become quite stressful. And, um, but I started to study this, and it was in one of these moments in the middle of the night, and the Word of God started to work mightily in me. When we start to study the Word of God, it says it's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul from the spirit, and, it is, uh, and the joints in the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And that became really clear to me, that sometimes we need that dividing the soul from the spirit more than we realize we need that confusion separating so praise God his word is alive and it is changing us it changes the situation and it changes us praise God so um, my text today is taken from Numbers 20 verses 14 through to um, 21 verses 17 and I really love the Old Testament I just draw so many parallels with life and I started to study this some sort of 13 14 years ago I went to college and um, and it was there that God really opened up the Old Testament scriptures to me and I love them I really do love the Old Testament. I see so much of the new in the old. God is revealed right back to the beginning. It's wonderful. So the context is um, the children of Israel are en route out of Egypt, out of the Exodus, and uh, they're on the edge of the Promised Land. But they're going through some difficulties just before they get, get in there. So... Um, I'll read this, uh, Numbers 20, verses 14. 
Now Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king uh, to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, you know all the hardship that has befallen us, how our fathers went down to Egypt and we dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians afflicted us and our fathers. And we cried out to the Lord and he heard our voice and sent the angel and brought us out of Egypt. Now here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your border. Please let us pass through your country. We will not pass through fields or vineyards, nor will we drink from the water, water from the wells. We will go along the king's highway and we will not turn aside to the right or to the left until we have passed through your territory. Then Eden said to him, You shall not pass through my land, lest I come out against you with the sword. So the children of Israel said to him, We will go by the highway, and if I or my livestock drink any of your water, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. And then he said, You shall not pass through. So Edom came out against them with many men, and with a strong hand, and thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory. So the children of Israel turned away. So Moses has sent a message to the king of Edom, asking for passageway, which would have been a much shorter route to, the, to their destiny of Canaan. But Moses is making claim here to their kinship, they were part of the same family. They were distant brothers. And you might have thought, well, you know, we will show favour because they are our relatives. But, but no, they are refused passageway. And um, he pleads again, and they even come out to war against the children of Israel. But it's still refused, and they end up taking a much longer route round to get to the... the uh, to get to Canaan's land. And the Edomites were, you remember, a descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother. And you'll remember how Esau was the firstborn of Isaac and Rebekah, but Esau had despised his birthright. And in Romans 9, verse 7, it says that it says, Not all the descendants of, his, of Abraham are the children of God. Only those that are the children of promise, they are, the, are counted as his seed. And we are here included in that seed. Praise God. And it tells us that when Rebecca, in, in verse 10 to 13 of Romans 9, it says um, that when Rebecca had conceived the twins, Esau and Jacob, that the elder shall serve the younger, and that Jacob would be loved by God, and Esau would be hated. And it says, For the children not yet born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to the election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. So this is where the promise is coming, and it's entirely different to the natural laws, but it's what God had planned. And so it was already in the plan, back even in the womb, before these children had arrived on the scene, that that covenant blessing was already coming through Jacob's line. 
In the eyes of the law, it should have gone through to Esau, the firstborn. But Jacob was the son of promise. And God is God. And his gifts and calling are irrevocable. And um, in Genesis 28, it, it talks about how the covenant promises of Genesis 12 that, he'd given, that God had given to Abraham. You'll, you'll realize when you read the Old Testament how the covenant blessings were renewed to each of the descendants. So the covenant was given to Abraham, but it was renewed with Isaac. And it was renewed again with Jacob so that God gave them individually a personal experience with him and a personal promise. You know, as Jacob set off on his journey, he was fleeing his brother. But as he set off, God met with him. And boom, if there was any doubt in his mind, God had met with him there and reaffirmed those promises personally to him. And he says, I will be with you. And, um, and in Genesis 12, these promises, the old covenant promises, where I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will, you and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. And anyone and all the families of earth will be blessed through you. And this is coming again through Jacob. So in Malachi 1, um, and Malachi is a really small book, it's, a, it's, a, it's near the end of the Old Testament, it's a prophet, and Malachi itself means, his name means messenger. And this is God, it sort of, it, it's got a, a questioning tone, and God is speaking to his people, and this people are answering back. And in verse 2 of Malachi 1, It says, I have loved you, says the Lord. And yet you say, in what way have you loved us? And he says, was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated and laid waste his mountains and his heritage. So if ever we think that the enemies of the Lord are not going to receive their just deserts for the way that they treat you, This shows us that the Edomites did, in fact, receive their punishment from the Lord because of, you know, they they withheld, they wouldn't allow God's people to come through. They didn't bless their brother. And we are that seed of promise. And back in Romans 9, verses 23 to 26, it says, And that he might make known the riches of his glory... On the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us, he called. Not the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. What shall we say then, that Gentiles who who did not pursue righteousness have attained righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? We've been included in this promise. Praise God, we weren't born in the natural to it, but we've been born in the spirit to it. Praise God. And in Hosea, it says, I will call them my people who were not my people. And I will love and and I will call her beloved who was not beloved. 
they shall be called the sons of the living God. Praise God. I'm beloved, beloved of the Lord. So back to the the text in uh, Numbers 20. Um, So the children of Israel had been abused by the Egyptians, and the Lord had sent an angel and had wonderfully saved them. And you might have thought that their distant brother might have wanted to ingratiate himself with a, a nation who are clearly the blessed of the Lord. But not so either. They were blind to it. They were fearful. Or, but they may have even been jealous. But they still refused passageway. But w- the beloved of the Lord will succeed and the enemies will, will suffer consequences. Now, I was thinking it may not always go smoothly for us. You know, we might think that, you know, we can rely on people, even our closest might let us down. And, but the promises of God are ours by adoption, not by our works, but by our inheritance. Praise God. So further on in chapter 20, uh, verses 22 to 29, it says, Now the children of the Lord, the whole congregation, journeyed from Kadesh and came to Mount Hor. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in Mount Hor by the border of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron shall be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land which I have given to the children of Israel, because you rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eleazar, his son, and bring them unto, the Mount, unto Mount Hor, and strip Aaron of his garments, and put them on Eleazar, his son. For Aaron shall be gathered to his people, and shall die there. So Moses did just as the Lord commanded, and they went up to Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation, And Moses stripped Aaron of his garment and gave them to Eleazar, his son. And Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down the mountain. And now when all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, the house of Israel mourned for Aaron for 30 days. So Israel turns away and carries on towards Mount Hor, where Aaron is going to die. And this is time for change. And as painful as it was, these two brothers, Aaron and Moses, had been through such a lot together, were now about to be parted. And uh, Eleazar, Aaron's son, was to take on the mantle of the priest. And these garments, the, the role of the high priest was continuing. So God's con- consecration and his method of, um, of consecration was carrying on. The laws of, of that were carrying on through Eleazar. And I thought, you know, we can't always take things from our past into our future. There's things that we might need to say goodbye to and let go of. Things that we've maybe had some confidence in before that, you know, remember how Moses was worried about speaking and so Aaron was brought in. You know, that was where Moses had worried that his, he couldn't say the right things. But now it's time to say goodbye to, to Aaron and he, um, he dies there, but his son takes on. So God is doing a new thing. Things had not passed away. 
the ordinances were still to continue. So praise God, they do go through a time of mourning, but they do carry on and they progress on towards Atherim and they go by a route which Moses had sent out the 12 spies on 38 years before. They're going back down the same route to possess the land that they'd, been, um, that they'd had a glimpse of earlier on. And uh, in 21, uh, it talks about the Canaanite king. So they're, they're now on to the next little hurdle. And the Canaanite king of Arad um, then comes out to attack them. And it takes some of the people captive. But this was just a temporary setback. And um, maybe it was the fact that the people needed to rely more upon the Lord I'm not sure, but anyway, the people cry out to the Lord and he hears them and he gives them a tremendous victory and they utterly destroy the enemies and their cities and they call the place Homer, which means holy destruction. And I thought, you know, the enemy can sometimes try and leg us up and, you know, and, and try coming at us and a real attack and... Um, especially as we're progressing to, into deeper spiritual things. There are things, you know, maybe in the thought life, maybe in your personal life and physical life that can come against us. But praise God, we're sometimes under attack, but thank God for that holy destruction. There is no messing with the children of God because they will get their just deserts. Praise God, he is faithful to us. And in Isaiah 41, verse 11, it says, All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. And I personally, and I know David's been through something similar recently, I've had somebody in the workplace who's really been having a go. And I think, we're not messing about here. You, you're touching the wrong one. This is serious stuff because we are called. We are the children of promise. And don't mess with them because it won't go well for you. God will bring them to their knees. He will bring them down and he will give us the victory. So whatever you might be going through, don't ever think for a moment that God is unfaithful because he will bring you through, praise God, and you will have his plan and purposes in your life. And in Isaiah 59, it says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard against him. God is God. There is none beside him. Oh, who can stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Praise God. It's time to take hold of the truth. We're not messing about here. We, we serve the living God who made the heavens and the earth. Who can stand before him? Praise God. You know, this is God teaching me spiritual maturity. We need to know who we are in Christ. Praise God. Praise God. I'm proving God here in this one. I'm proving him for myself. Thank God. So um, I'll carry on. And uh, in 21, from verses 4 
on. This is um, the story, the well-known story you'll know, I'm sure, about the, the bronze servant, serpent. It says, then, <clears throat> the journey from Mount Hall, by the way of the Red Sea, to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people came, became very discouraged on the way. And I thought, you know, we all can go through times of discouragement. And as Beth Moore would say, anybody? <laughs> There's some times of discouragement. We need to be real. There are these times that come. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our souls loathe this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the children died. Uh, the, many of the Israelites died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to, to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze servant and put, serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So from great victory that they've just had through this holy destruction, they go through a time of discouragement. And, but they turn from discouragement to sin, and they start sinning against the Lord and start to blame him. And, you know, we need to be wary of that. You know, Adam blamed the Lord. It's a woman you've given me. She did it. You know, this blaming, and you gave me this woman. So apportioning blame, we need to be very careful that we don't sin against the Lord in these times. But they say, no food, no water. Our soul loathes this worthless bread. This worthless bread was manna, angel food, heavenly food, that supernatural provision from heaven, more precious, more valuable, more sustaining and nutrition than anything earth could have provided. It's better than any health diet. Exactly what they needed, exactly what the body needed. Not too much of this, not too much salt, not too much sugar perfect because it was God the creator had given them the fuel but you know sometimes we don't always see the situation too clearly and you know if we've been focusing too much on natural carnal things you know we can get a little bit dull in our spiritual sharpness it can dull the spiritual senses to what is truly worth worth the value what is truly valuable and what are the true treasures and so they needed some clarity and God knew that and so he sent in these fiery serpents instant sharpening of those senses instant clarity we've sinned so thank God they repented they came to repentance they said we've sinned against you Lord 
we've sinned against you, Moses. Now pray, intercede. And Moses takes in that role of intercessor and he intercedes on behalf of the people. And the Lord, in his mercy, provides an antidote for the sin and for the sickness. And he tells Moses to build that bronze serpent and to raise it on a pole, that when anyone looked at that serpent, he lived. Praise God. John 3, verses 14 to 16. It says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes on him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Praise God, Christ himself became that image of sin for us, lifted high on the cross, that we who were once miserable, blind sinners could take a look at him and live. Praise God, fully restored. All the effects of sin and sickness removed. And a few weeks ago we were singing this song at church and it's uh, one of the new, co- new hymns and it says, He made an end to all my sin. He made an end to it. Praise God. Look and live. Look and live. But you know, so many people won't even take a look. Not even take a look. Maybe it's because, as Paul says in, the Corinthian, in Corinthians, that you know, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's a stumbling block to the Jews. But unto us who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's the wisdom of God. Praise God. This is that treasure. Oh, glory to God. And in Isaiah 53, it says, There is no beauty that we should desire him. Oh, God. Oh, God, but we hid, as it were, our faces from him. But thank God, you know, the moment we take a look, that veil of blindness has been split down the middle. We suddenly see him. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hebrews 12, verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. He sat down at the right hand of God. And it says in 2 Corinthians that anyone who turns to the Lord, the veil over his mind is lifted and that we're now at liberty to see the truth. Praise God, there's something in a look. Hallelujah. Praise God. And um, as I was... uh, really struggling actually a few weeks ago and I'll be honest it was tough Um, I I started studying this and I thought you know I'm going to take a look where my help comes from I need to look to him there's nobody else can meet the need like Jesus you know you can have some good advice from people but you need to look to him it's like the psalmist said in Psalms 121 I have to read this. I love this psalm. 
I will look to the, lift up mine eyes to the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And praise God, you know, it was meeting my need as I was reading this. It was wonderful, you know. That's what I meant when I was saying that the word is working mightily in me. It's working mightily to preserve my very soul. Your soul, where your emotions are. You know, where your cares are. Who you are as a person. God says he preserves your very soul. Praise God, he preserved mine. And you know that word preserve, it means to take care of, to protect, to maintain. If you think you might be losing the plot at times, call on this. God says he'll preserve. He'll take care. He'll maintain your very soul. Thank God. It doesn't get much better than that. No counsellor can meet that need. No amount of therapy can meet that need. No talking about it. Let's come to the Lord. Let's lift up our eyes to him because that's where our help comes from. He's on our side. And I remember Jerry saying when we were kids, you know, shout out the window in the morning. God is on my side. And it's true, we need to remind ourselves. He is on my side and I'm on his. It's safe. Praise God. We might not know always why situations come about the way that they do, um, but God is never unfaithful to us, not, not for one. So cry out to him if you're going through something. Be persistent. And as Charles Spurgeon says, sometimes it might take the whole army of our souls to come into the conflict and besiege the mercy seat. Even the cross of Calvary could not prevent that final, ultimate victory of the resurrection. So what have we to fear? Praise God. So let our praises flow from lifted heads and look up because your redemption draweth nigh. Praise God. And you know, after a hot battle comes a sweet victory. And in my distress and sleepless nights, I found the lily of the valley. He met with me, the Prince of Peace. And I was literally drinking from those still waters of peace. And it's refreshing. Oh, praise God, it's refreshing. And you just relax and lay back and say, thank you, Lord, you've brought me through. Hallelujah. So um, we're going to continue and uh, back to the text in uh, Numbers 21, verses 10 uh, to 14. Now the children of Israel moved on and camped in Obeth, 
And they journeyed from Obeth and camped at Ejabarim in the wilderness, which is east of Moab, towards the sunrise. And from there they moved and camped in the valley of Zered. And from there they moved and camped on the other side of the Arnon, which is the wilderness that extends from the border of the Amorites, for the Arnon is the border of Moab, between Moab and the Amorites. I thought, wow, that's between a rock and a hard place, that is. Both these teams, enemies of Israel, and they're right in the middle, surrounded by this situation of hostility in a wilderness. I mean, talk about being under pressure. Everywhere they turned, there was no friendly faces, nobody on their side. And, you know, I I was just thinking about that and just thought, well, gosh, you know, what kind of pressure these people must have felt under. You know, we can sometimes identify with that. With that. And, uh, and I was going through this, as I say, I, I was thinking at the time about the oil press and thinking, you know, how much pressing. You know, they were in a very pressured situation. You know, hostilities on both sides, not knowing who might attack them next. But there, there they are, children and women and children and all, the, and all that, in the middle of a desert. And I thought, you know, pressed down on every side. But, you know, that oil press was, I was thinking about that, that little olive is pressed, but it releases the olive oil under that pressure and how Christ himself was crushed for us. In Isaiah 53, verse 65, it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And something we talked about last night, which is really in keeping with what... uh, you know, I was, I was studying was, you know, that, that verse where in John it says, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. But if it dies, it bears forth much fruit. And of course, Jesus was talking of himself, that he laid down his life, that we might partake of his seed. And we have eaten of that seed and that seed is alive in us and we are now we have now taken on the nature of him and we start to look like him and we start to take the nature of God on it's like that song you know till that his nature is seen in me that we start to reflect who Jesus is his seed is within us and had it not been for that crushing experience of God that seed could never have come out but also that oil of the anointing the Holy Spirit could never have been ours had God not gone through that crushing the oil of the anointing the comforter came after the the crucifixion and that oil is so precious to us It said, you know, in the Old Testament where the oil was used, it was used for fuel and it said the fuel was to cause the lamps to, the oil was to cause the lamps to burn continually. 
and the oil was used in the anointing oil to consecrate the tabernacle, the utensils, and the priesthood themselves. And it said, you will be called holy unto the Lord. And in Corinthians 2, 2 Corinthians 1, it says, it, he has anointed us, placing his seal of ownership on us. We are holy unto the Lord, sealed his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, sealed, guaranteeing of what there is to come. So not only do we have the seed within us, but we have the oil of the anointing that is continuing to cause us to be holy unto the Lord. Oh, praise God. We have offered ourselves as a sacrifice to him and say, God, take hold. Take hold of us, Lord. Take hold of us. Consume the sacrifice of our lives. Holy, holy unto the Lord. Praise God. And our lamps burning continually. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Let's Let's continue to keep our lamps burning till the break of day because it will come. It won't always be night. Hallelujah. You know, we've got a, a chap in our church and his father, who's a wonderful man of God, and um, he's being given a, a terminal um, prognosis of cancer. But in the middle of all of this, He's burning so brightly and we've been praying about it and we're all of the same opinion that this man is glorifying God in the midst of his suffering. And in 2 Corinthians it says we're pressed on all sides but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. And this is the bit that it says, we carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be revealed in our body. This man, Oliver Gay, is choosing to glorify God in the midst of his suffering. And he's revealing Jesus. How wonderful. His light, his lamp is burning Praise God. And we're being blessed by it. I know it sounds ridiculous, but we are all being blessed. And what a way to go if that's how God is choosing to take him. Glorifying God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Anyway, back to the text. Um, right. Numbers 21, verses 16 and 17. And it says, from there. Uh, yes, from there. They went on to Beer, which is the well where the Lord said to Moses, Gather the people together. I will give them water. Praise God. And the Israelites sang this song. Spring up, O well. All of you sing to it. The well the leaders sang, dug by the nation's nobles, by the Lord giver with their staves. Praise God. God says, I will give you to drink. I will give you to drink. How wonderful. Praise God. How loving is he. He knows us individually. He knows when you're thirsty. He will give you to drink. He's promised it. And he says in Isaiah 44, I will pour flood. I will pour water 
on him that is thirsty. I will pour floods upon the dry ground. But on not only that, he said, I will pour my spirit upon your descendants and my blessing upon your offspring. Oh, praise God, that they will spring up among the grass like willows among the watercourses, deep-rooted. And he says, and I will say, they will say, I am the Lord's. Praise God. That's a promise for your offspring, for your descendants. They will say, I am the Lord's. Hallelujah. And you know, the people sang, spring up, oh well. The words of that old chorus just spring to mind. Spring up, O well, within my soul. Spring up, O well, and make me whole. Spring up, O well, and give to me life abundantly. You know, with joy the people drew water from that well and they sang. And just as Isaiah said, in that day, you will therefore with joy draw water from the wells of salvation. That abiding Holy Spirit, the well of living water. And as Henry used to say, it's in you, brother. It's in you, sister. Hallelujah. And in John 7, verse 37 to 38, it says, Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And you know, that brazen serpent that was, the sim- was symbolic of Christ, our Savior, who was lifted up on the cross, our antidote to sin and sickness, is shortly followed by the well appearing, not much further on. And that's symbolic of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. What a wonderful parallel that God is giving what is to come back then in the Old Testament. Oh, praise God. Isn't God good? Isn't his word wonderful? Oh, the foretelling is just Oh, you can't tell it. You can't tell it. But anyway, John 4 verse 14 says, But whosoever drinks the water that I will give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give him will become a fount of water springing up into eternal life. And the children of Israel, of course, they do come and cross the Jordan and they do enter the promised land and they do become a great nation of great renown. Their seed is multiplied like the stars and God God sees them through and he says through them all nations are truly blessed. We are blessed. We are blessed because of this nation. We are blessed because our Savior came through this nation. Praise God. So, in conclusion, uh, we might be let down by people. We might be let down by those that we maybe think shouldn't let us down. You may be part of churches and they don't treat you the way that you think they should treat you. But don't lean on the arm of the flesh. It's not there. It will let you down. We will let each other down. We just need to face that. Be wise and recognize the elder brother. 
those that are in a position and want to hinder your spiritual progress. Be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves, as it says in Matthew 10, 16. Because we need to be sharp. We need to be careful. Remember, we are the children of promise. We're the children of promise by election. Not of our works, but of him that called us. And we are, praise God, I love this phrase, vessels of mercy. Praise God. The beloved of the Lord. We are the sons of the living God. Be careful what you're feeding on. Stay sharp. Don't let anything dull your spiritual senses. Protect it. Praise God. And look up. Because he is everything we need. It's all in him. He's even the source of our faith. And we were singing that song last night, Just As I Am, Without One Plea. And one of those verses is it's just so real. Bring your doubts. Bring your fears. God knows where you're at. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows all your thoughts before you've even had them. So just come as you are. Just be real. And God says he is the author and the finisher of even your faith. So take a look, praise God. And as we look, we are transformed into his image from glory to glory. We will start to reflect God in the most bizarre of circumstances, the most circumstances that may look so hard to other people, but in the midst we can still glorify God. He is your keeper. He will preserve your soul. There may be some conflicts. There may be pressures ahead. But we know that God works all things together for good to those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. So keep your oil lamp burning. Keep it topped up with fuel. It will bring glory to God, but it will also bless others as they look at you and as they you know, see you being a light and warmth to them in a dark, dark world. But remember, we are holy unto God, consecrated and sealed for the day of redemption. Praise God, but continue to draw from the font of living water. The Lord will provide streams in the desert for you. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Amen.